So good to be with you tonight, brethren, and very encouraged every time we can get together. Uh, very excited that so many of us have been able to get out even under inclement conditions and, uh, and worship God together and, and encourage each other tonight. So thank you so much for your attendance. I want to encourage you to be getting your Bibles out and opening them to Acts chapter 17. Uh, there will be some slides behind me, uh, but not all the passages that we will be, as a matter of fact, very few of the passages that we'll be reading together will be up on the screen tonight, primarily because uh, we'll be reading some rather lengthy uh, um, script, uh, sections of Scripture tonight, more so than I, that I felt comfortable putting up on the screen. So it be helpful to you to have your Bibles out and be turning with me. We'll begin in Acts chapter 17, as I said, and uh, I want to just sort of set the stage very briefly as we enter into this reading. If you're familiar with the book of Acts and the travels of Paul, you'll, you'll be familiar with the fact that as we enter into the middle part of Acts chapter 17, we see the Apostle Paul uh, entering into the city of Athens. And as he comes into Athens in verse 16 of Acts 17, it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he proclaimed to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. As we were reading that scripture, did you notice some of the things that the Athenian uh, citizens and the foreigners who were there busied themselves doing? Did you notice back in verse 18 how they were studying and adhering to various philosophies? It talks about the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who encountered him. 
They were busying themselves with philosophies of men. They were busying themselves in verses 18 through 20 with questioning what seemed to them to be a, a strange and new doctrine that they wanted to hear about. Verse 21, it tells us that the Athenians and those foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but to either to tell or hear some new thing. They were busy with that sort of activity. But not only that, we noticed in verse 16, the very first verse we read, that when Paul entered into Athens, one of the first things he noticed was all the idols throughout the city. This was a people that had busied themselves with idol worship. And we can see in verses 22 through 29 the evidence of that and how they had built temples with their hands, how they engaged in various acts of worship with their hands, it tells us in verse 25, and how they shaped and they sculpted gods from gold and silver and stone in verse 29. They were busy with their hands. They were busy with their minds. They were active in the things that they they had set out to do well paul goes on as we read in verses 24 and 25 verse 26 to tell them about the one true god and i want you to look back at those verses and notice how god how paul describes the one true god paul says in verse 24 that god made the world and everything in it that's that unknown god the god that they had set up an altar to the God that they didn't yet know about, and yet this is the God who made the world and everything in it, according to Paul. Not only that, not only did he make the world, Paul says he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He rules over all. And this God who created everything and who rules over all, Paul says again in verse 24, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, and he is not worshipped with what men have to offer he doesn't need what man brings to him instead this god gives life and breath and all things everything a man experiences this god gives that and this god that paul is telling these athenians about created all nations he says from one man from one blood when God created all nations for one blood, God appointed or pre-appointed, he says, times and the boundaries of their dwelling. And so to a people who had busied themselves with constructing idols and temples to idols, gods that could not exist without the works of men's hands, Paul is describing a God who didn't need what man brought. Paul is describing a God who created the entire world and everything in it. And that brings us to really what is the focus of this lesson tonight. And that's in verses 26 and 27. Let's read those two verses again. It says, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from every one of us, from each one of us. Isn't this amazing that the God who created this world, the God who has control over all things, rules over all creation, and does not really need what man has to offer, desires that men seek him? Paul says that's what God desires, that men seek him. And the way he describes that is that they might grope 
for him, as the New King James reads, and find him. So God desires that men seek him, grope for him, and find him, for he is not far from each one of us. Doesn't it impress you to think that God is near and that he desires men to find him? But notice the words that Paul uh, uses in, in speaking to these idolatrous men. To men who constantly were seeking new things to tell and to hear, Paul said, seek God. To men who worshipped an unknown God, Paul said, find God, for he is not far from each of you. And it's in this context that Paul used this word that our modern language often describe, is used often in our modern language to describe something that's inappropriate, the word grope, as it's translated in the New King James. Well, what does this mean, and why would Paul use uh, this terminology? What was he trying to impress upon his hearers here? Well, the Greek word that Paul actually spoke is pronounced selafaho, and it means simply to handle or to touch or to feel. This word, as far as I've been able to find, is, is found in three other New Testament passages. It's in Luke 24 and verse 39, where Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. That's the same word that, that we see, the same Greek word that Paul used here in Acts 17. Jesus said, Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see, I have. Jesus was encouraging his disciples to touch him, to feel him, to see that he was truly flesh and bones. In Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12 and verse 18, we see this word used again. The Hebrew writer says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. That word touched, that's that same word. A mountain, a physical thing that they could handle. And third, the third place we find this, this word is in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, where John begins his epistle by saying, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, there's that word again, concerning the word of life. So John begins his epistle stating his intention to tell his readers about this word of life that he had personally seen and, and handled. Three cases we see this word used in a rather literal sense. But in Acts chapter 17 and verse 27, Paul uses this word in a different way, in a, a figurative sense. Let's remember again who made up his audience. Men who had been shaping gods with their hands. Men who had used their hands to build temples for idols. Men who spent their time and energy seeking after new things to tell and to hear based on the philosophies of men. It was to these men that Paul said, grope for God. As fervently as they had worshipped false gods, as fervently as they sought after new doctrines, Paul was telling them they needed, with that same fervency, to seek after the one true God, the God who created all things. If we examine other English translations of Acts, 20, Acts 17, verse 27, it might deepen our understanding of the meaning. The King James Version says that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him. The New International Version says God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. The English Standard Version says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. 
Think about finding yourself awake one night in a dark hotel room or maybe as a guest in someone's house. You're unfamiliar with the layout of the room. You feel your way along the wall to a light switch. You might not even realize that you're very close to it until you touch it. Not far, but you feel your way to it. I believe that that is the idea that Paul is conveying. That's the, the picture that he's painting here with the use of this word in searching for God and seeking after that God who created all things and is not far from each one of us. But who we have to look for, who we have to search for, who we have to seek after, who desires us to seek after him. So with that picture in our mind, I'd like to spend the balance of our time considering how we might apply that idea in our lives. What applications should this have for us today as Christians? How is it that we today, whether we're Christians or maybe not yet a Christian, but in search for the truth, how do we feel our way toward God? How do we grope for God in the way that Paul described it here to the Athenians? Well, it begins, it begins with desire, motivation. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught about this kind of desire. We see it expressed in a few different ways. I'll just key in on a couple. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, there's that idea of desire, isn't it? Hungering, thirsting, craving righteousness. But then we can drop down a few verses to verse 29, and we can see this idea of desire conveyed in a much different way. Matthew 5, verse 29, Jesus said, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will will pursue that at all costs, won't they? They won't let anything stand in their way. Nothing can stop them from seeking after the ways of God. Nothing will hinder them. And when something does hinder their efforts, they will cast it off. They will put it away. Is this the level of passion that you have? Is this the level of passion that we have in our pursuit for God, in our pursuit for righteousness, in our pursuit for pleasing the one who created us? Are we hungering and thirsting for it? Are we willing to pay any price? Give up anything that stands in our way of pleasing God? Recall that Jesus once described his fulfillment of God's will as food. We think about this idea of priority, and, and that's really the next uh, thing here. Are our desires reflected in our priorities? Well, when Jesus was speaking of priorities in John chapter 4 and verse 34, speaking to his disciples who were wondering about his, his ability to eat, his food, he said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We all make eating a priority, don't we? I know I do. Every day, I'm going to eat. Well, when Jesus spoke about food and he was speaking about priorities, Jesus focused his full attention on pleasing his Father. And he was sustained 
by his pursuit of that which pleased the Father above. Nothing was more important to him than that. That was his priority. What ranks at the top of your list of priorities? What ranks at the top of my list? Not sure why I'm having trouble with that. Another thing to pay attention to is that our devotion to God is reflected in how we approach various questions of life. Questions of morality, questions of religious practice, questions of doctrine, just to name a few. Let's think about a few of these things. It's been my experience that men in general and even sometimes Christians seek to justify the things that they want or justify the things that they would prefer in their lives one way or another. They'll say things like, well, I just don't see, see anything wrong with it. Or they might say, well, where does the Bible condemn that? Or my God would never condemn someone for doing this thing, whatever that thing is. Some would say, well, I'm sure God wants me to be happy. Or some would be even be so bold to say, well, God led me to where I am today. Is that the sort of thing that those who are groping for God, those whose desire, their, their highest, most preeminent desire is to please God, is that the sort of thing that those kinds of people would say? Does that characterize their language? Does that characterize the life of Paul, who said this in Acts chapter 17? Well, as we think about that, I'd invite you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'd like to notice with you a few things that the Apostle Paul said about himself, about his own life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to begin by reading verses 16 and 17. Paul says, Therefore, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for, of necessity, or for, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What was Paul's utmost concern? Was it the things that he might have preferred in his life? Was it the things that were to his taste and suitable to him? Was that his foremost concern in life? Well, apparently not. He says, if I do this willingly, this work of preaching the gospel, I have a reward. If against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. He recognized his life was about more than just what he preferred. Instead, he viewed his life as a stewardship to the one who appointed him to that work. Now, Keep that in mind, and let's go back a few verses to verse 3. In verse 3, Paul says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? It appears that Paul was refraining from certain things that were not evil in and of themselves. But for whatever reason, he saw some of these things as perhaps hindering his ability to be as effective as he needed to be. And of course, he's defending himself here against those who are trying to uh, detract from his, his role as an apostle. It appears Paul was refraining from certain things, eating and drinking certain things, perhaps even getting married for the sake of the gospel. Why would a man do that? Well, again, let's keep in mind, he thinks of his life as a stewardship 
Now let's turn back and, and look at verse 19 here in 1 Corinthians 9. In verse 19 he says, for, I, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. Why would you do that, Paul? Why would you make yourself a servant to all? He says that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law, law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Do you see how Paul yielded himself? He yielded himself to the various things that were considered normal in various cultures. He put aside any preference that he might have, and he did all of that to maximize his effectiveness in preaching the gospel and reaching out to those who are lost, in seeking to save some, whoever would hear not causing anything to hinder that work and that effort. Now, hold your finger here in 1 Corinthians 9. We'll come right back to 1 Corinthians 9. But it's almost impossible for me to think about the life of Paul and his view of his life without turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In the 2 Corinthians letter in chapter 11, uh, we won't take time to read the entire section. There's so many things that here he says about himself and Again, he's not saying these things in a boastful way. As a matter of fact, he almost um, he, he talks about speaking as a fool in this passage. And, and, and he he's, seems to be almost ashamed that he has to go here. But he's defending himself and his apostleship against people who are trying to take away his role in, in, in the, uh, uh, the work that he is to be doing as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 22, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches, what was the focus of Paul's attention? Did he pay a price to serve as an apostle of Christ? We can't read this passage and come away with the notion that Paul was focused on himself, that he was in any way self-centered, or that he was even concerned with whether or not he would have his way about things. His concern was his stewardship before God as an apostle of Jesus Christ. His concern, as he ended this section of scripture was with those that he had an influence over his deep concern for all the churches and that impresses us even more when we think about the fact that it was some who were members of the church who were attacking him 
and who are causing him mental and physical anguish at times. And so, we think about all that Paul endured for the sake of the Gospel. We think about all that Paul was willing to yield and to give up for the sake of his service to God, his service to Christ, and we think, wow, he must have been superhuman in some way. How was some man able to do that? When we turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, Paul tells us how he did that. And he encourages us to follow the example that he left. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26, he says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul had fleshly desires just like you and me. He was a man just like you and you and me. But Paul disciplined his body. Paul brought it into subjection. And Paul was concerned with becoming disqualified. He recognized that he could fall away, even as an apostle of Jesus Christ, that he could preach to others and then himself become disqualified. And so let's just take a moment and review Paul's example. What are the things we've noticed about Paul? He viewed his life as a stewardship. He refrained from activities and some relationships that might hinder his service to God, even though not all of those things were evil in and of themselves. Many of them were good. He yielded himself to cultural norms for the sake of the gospel. He was not rebellious. He did not seek attention for himself. He endured hardship over and over again for the sake of Christians who were sometimes critical of him and who failed to appreciate the sacrifices that he was making. He disciplined his body, bringing it into subjection to the will of God. And he avoided arrogance and thinking that there was no way he could ever fall away from God. Well, as we take into account what we just read, as we think about Paul's life, I want to ask you, do you think that the Apostle Paul struggled with the same kinds of questions that we've referenced already? Was Paul conflicted just as an example? over whether or not he would assemble with the saints at every opportunity. Those are the kinds of things that sometimes cause our brethren to stumble, right? If he were alive today and he were a member of our congregation, do you think he'd attend our Bible classes? Do you think he'd attend this Sunday evening worship service? Or would he attend our gospel meeting services? Seems almost silly to ask that, doesn't it? Did Paul have trouble deciding what sort of entertainment would be appropriate for him, and how much. Can you imagine Paul watching the same kinds of TV shows that you watch? I hope so, I hope so. Or the same movies, the things that we each need to reflect on. Can you imagine him playing the kinds of games that you play or listening to the kinds of music you enjoy? Can you imagine that? Think about Paul. Think about the life he lived. Does it even seem reasonable that the Apostle Paul would devote as much time and attention to entertainment and self-gratification that you might spend and again i'm hopeful the answer is yes and in many cases i know i know many of you that that probably is the answer i i appreciate many brethren here for how devoted you are to christ but each of us has to reflect on this for ourselves think about the application for ourselves 
Was Paul having difficulty finding time to read God's Word and meditate on it? Can you imagine Paul? Again, I'm just thinking of things that, that, that sometimes we struggle with. What about Paul? Can you imagine him going shopping for some clothing, maybe for himself or maybe for a sister in Christ, and saying, yeah, this outfit, I'm not really sure about it. might raise a few eyebrows, but I'm not sure I see anything wrong with it. Was that his attitude about things? doesn't seem to be, does it? And I'm not just talking about immodest clothing. That's certainly an application. Certainly, I've known Christians through the years who've struggled with the idea, well, should I get this part of my body pierced or tattooed, or should I wear this kind of casual clothing, or do I need to be more dressed up in various occasions? Sometimes we get so wrapped up in trying to find the passage that says, well, this is specifically what God expects with regard to this thing, when really all we're doing is searching God's Word, trying to justify what we prefer. And the reason we struggle with that is because we do not have the same attitude towards our stewardship as Paul had. Willing to yield, willing to give up, willing to sacrifice for the sake of Christ and for the honor and glory of Christ that we might save some. We might help each other. These questions seem sort of silly and ridiculous to ask when we think about them with regard to Paul, don't they? Because Paul was a man who we recognize was fully devoted to God. He wouldn't let nothing stand in his way of pleasing God. He craved an eternal relationship with God. He loved his fellow man so much that he frequently yielded himself to the will and customs of others so that they would be more likely to listen to him teach the gospel. Paul was willing to suffer great hardship for the sake of Christ. If your Bible's still open to 1 Corinthians 9, you may have to turn a page over to chapter 11 and read verse 1. Apostle Paul says, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. You know, Paul wasn't seeking our praise. And I suspect if he was alive today and here, he'd be embarrassed that we were speaking of him in this way tonight. But Paul did say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. His attention was drawn to Christ. And in the ways that he followed in in Christ's paths, in in the ways he imitated Christ, He said, you need to imitate me. He had a charge to keep as an apostle of Christ to teach the gospel and to provide an example for others to follow. And he kept that charge. He kept that responsibility. And he encourages us through the things that he wrote that have been preserved for us. He encourages us to imitate him in the way he imitated Christ. So I ask you, what is it that's keeping you from being that type of Christian? What hinders you? from being the type of faithful steward of God that Paul was. Is there anything? I can tell you some things that it's not. Some things that are not hindering you. It's not a lack of ability. God expects nothing more of you than you can do. Each one of us has our own abilities, our own sets of of talents and skills. We all have something to offer. So, If you're not the kind of servant God would have you to be, it's not because you don't have the ability to be. You do. God gives you that ability. It's not a lack of opportunity. Opportunity opportunity abounds for us to be busy in the work that God would have us to do. And it's not a lack of time. We all have 24 hours every day. It's not a lack of any of those things. What is it that might keep someone from being that type of faithful steward? Maybe a lack of motivation. 
maybe a love for physical things or maybe a lack of knowledge. And I'll tell you just on a side note, if that's your situation, if you're just struggling because of a lack of knowledge, if you want to come up to me, and I know there's others, Ken and our elders here, and various others of our congregation will be glad to engage you in a study of God's Word to increase your level of knowledge. Don't let that hinder you. What else is hindering you? Maybe it's a fear of being uncomfortable, being put in an uncomfortable situation, not fitting in with worldly-minded friends. Well, brethren, whatever it is, whatever it is, as we think about how we're using our hands, we think about groping towards God, And how it is we overcome the challenges that are hindering us. We have to realize our hands need to be on the Word of God. Our hands need to be grasping that which God has given that reveals Himself to us, that reveals His will to us. If we will grasp onto this, if we will seek after it, seek that knowledge and seek that strength that comes from knowing God's Word, we can grow and develop into the kind of steward that we need to be. I'll direct your attention just briefly to one other passage, and then um, the lesson will be yours tonight. Back over in Acts chapter 17, we'll notice at the very end of that chapter the response of some who heard Paul. In verse 32, it says, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, Paul had been speaking to them about the resurrection. It says, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Is that the sort of response that you will have to the gospel? Mocking, or maybe saying, eh, maybe later. Maybe I'll listen later. Some who heard Paul responded that way. Not everyone Paul preached to obeyed the gospel, and this is clearly shown here. But in verse 34, we see another type of reaction. It says, however, some men joined him and believed. Among them were Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Dionysius, Damaris, these others who believed, they made a decision to grope for God, to seek after God. Are you struggling with that decision today? If you are, I would encourage you to do the same thing today that Dionysius, Damaris, and these others did in obedience to God. You know what they did? They believed in Jesus as the Son of God. And they were willing to confess their faith in Christ. They were willing to turn away from their idolatry and the the wickedness that surrounded them to obey God, to obey Christ. And having made that decision, they were willing to be baptized, buried in water for the remission of their sins. If you want to follow in the way of Christ, you'll do the same thing that they did. It hasn't changed in the past 2,000 years. It's a wonderful plan, and God has put that in place, and it's so simple. And we're here to help you tonight. Maybe it's that you need to study, and, and, and you're not confident in that plan, and we're eager to do that with you as well. Or it may be that you're a Christian, and you simply need to renew your devotion to God. I'll tell you, we started off this sermon mentioning that We're here tonight to encourage one another and help each other. We want to help you with that, if that be your need tonight. Maybe you desire the prayers of your brethren. Maybe you want to study or in some other way need encouragement. Whatever your spiritual need is, we invite and encourage you to make it known by coming to the front as we stand and sing.